I do believe that when we say things that are very much directly related to our why, you know, the big why, like why do we get up? What are we doing? How are we showing up? What's our commitment? When we say that in a really conscious way as a practice, in a sense, it has tremendous power to help us and all the people that we come into contact with because the intention is really powerful. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast, brought to you by AmpCoil. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we discuss the common thread survivors share after walking through the fire, the practitioners making a difference, and the treatment modalities that deliver healing back into the hands of the people who need it most. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes. Because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest. They're always special. Kathy Wheelahan. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. And Kathy, I, I'm having you on as a guest because I have done no shows, absolutely zero, nothing about spirituality or faith. And you are an interfaith minister. And can you just tell the audience what that means? Uh, sure. Uh, the title is actually Interfaith Interspiritual Minister. And there is a slight differentiation, I would say, I think, depending upon who you speak to. But an interfaith minister is someone who has studied all of the wisdom traditions of the world, religions and faiths and even the um, indigenous cultural traditions, and sees the truth and the universality of all of the teachings. So it's Mm -hmm. like we honor all of it. And we pledge to help bring an experience of the sacred to the common of all people, you know, that we are really that out of the many is the one and out of the one comes the many. Well, I think that that's, really a good way to look at the interfaith it's it's individuals ministers ministries affirming the truth in all the religions faiths and spiritual traditions and and what made you pursue this into your life because um i know you're a yoga teacher and you run a successful yoga studio up in reading connecticut and uh, among other things that you do there, but what made you pursue the interfaith, interspiritual ministry? I mean, I think it was it was a it was a line through my life that was always there, and I I hadn't quite figured out how to make it um, more of a real daily part of my life. So when I, even when I was younger, I always thought like I would go and become a nun or something. That sounds so weird. I'm not even Catholic, but I always wanted, like, I I really longed for more of a monastic type of a life, Mm -hmm. but then life happens. So in college, I was a theology minor and I, and I loved it. And everything I've done has an essence of that spiritual nature to it. So even when, let's say I was a Russian major and lived in Moscow, 
so much of what I loved about the people and the culture was their deep faith. And even in their circumstances, they they were under communism and there was like, you know, they were the most incredibly faithful and loving people. Like when you sat down to break bread with them at the table, I noticed a thread in my life where I couldn't quite figure out how to make a living doing it. So I didn't pursue it after college per se, but I kept coming back around and I'm, oh, I'm an ever like a never ending student. So I studied yoga and mostly Tantra for years, you know, more than 10 years and really immersed myself in the teachings and, and I loved it. And then I, yet I still felt like there was more. So one day I was talking to a friend and I learned about this place called One Spirit. And I read, I'm going to read you this definition of, of interspirituality because it was when I read this definition that I just, you know, the tears of joy just started flowing because I knew this was something that I was supposed to do. And I didn't quite know what was going to come of it, but it was a path I knew that I was going to walk. So this is by Mirabai Star, and it's, it's titled Interspirituality. To walk an inter- interspiritual path is to travel through the wilderness with open hands and a courageous spirit. It is to navigate with the heart and a book of prayers from every faith tradition that ever uttered a sacred phrase in any language. To travel an interspiritual path is to drop to our knees in the presence of love wherever we encounter it and to disarm our hearts the minute we have the impulse to otherize a faith we do not understand. To take an interspiritual journey is to circle ever inward to a place of holy silence and vibrant stillness, and then to surge back outward with the contemplative fruits we have gathered to feed a hungry world. An interspiritual life invites us to take our rightful place at the table of the divine in many holy houses and asks that we kneel at the altars of multiple traditions and drink from the goblet we are offered and allow it to transform us. Interspirituality is about saying yes to the sacred in every form and no form, about moving beyond intellectual orientation to active engagement with various religions, about seeking and finding the love that unifies all paths and affirms our essential interconnectedness. Mm. Essential interconnectedness. Um, that's something when, when you, when you read that, you know, I was feeling it resonate in different parts of my body where the words hit. And what came up for me was right now is this climate, the social climate we're in. And I, and I saw all these separate countries, all these separate islands of faith and belief and um, dogmatic views about politics and social beliefs about love and what a partner is, what a family looks like. And we're so, we're so segmented right now. And that passage was just saying, what if people, what if, what if, what if people were to listen to that, like, every single morning for 10 days in a row when they woke up and went to bed. I, do you, could you think just from those words there could be a shift? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one of the major shifts that has happened for me in going through the program, the first year you study all the wisdom traditions. So every month you're studying a different tradition, starting with Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, Judaism, Islam, you go through it all. Christianity, Native American, you do the whole gamut for the for nine months. And each month you basically practice um, spiritual practices from that faith. And then the second year, you're learning more about how to be an active minister, holding sacred space, ceremony, ritual, and all of those things, you know, weddings, memorials, funerals, baby blessings, and things like that. But also creating very different kinds of ceremonies that might not be something, you know, someone might come to you and say, oh, I, I, I would like a ceremony. I feel like a part of my ego is dying and I would like to celebrate what's coming forth. And you have to figure out how to work with that with the person. So there's so many wonderful opportunities. The one thing that I have found very powerful since being ordained in June is that we had to write our own vows of ministry. And it was what we were committing to and promising to the God of our understanding, spirit, source, however you want to call it, the big energy, love. And it's our commitment that we are making every day. And before we went through ordination, which is a very powerful spiritual ceremony, we were asked to start reciting our vows to ourselves. And so you build up every morning, you're saying the vow. So it's sort of what you're asking, the question that you're asking. And now when I wake up every morning, it's the first thing. I'm laying in bed and I just say my vows to myself. I might whisper them out loud, but I don't want to wake up my husband. So, but that's how I start my day. And it is powerful because no matter how off track or what anxiety or whatever is going on in my life with my kids or my business or whatever, that re-grounds me into what I'm committed to every day. That's how I start. And on the very few days that I forget, it's funny because sometime during that morning, I will stop and go, oh my God, I forgot to say my vows. And I'll just drop in and do it right where I am, whether it's doing the dishes or driving my send to school or whatever. I have felt a major shift since that time of writing them. And now that I've been through about three months of saying them, I do believe that when we say things that are very much directly related to our why, you know, the big why, like, why do we get up? What are we doing? How are we showing up? What's our commitment? When we say that, in a really conscious way, as a practice, in a sense, it has tremendous power to help us and, and all the people that we come into contact with, because the intention is really powerful. Yeah. And what's, what's your mission with this, you know, with, with this practice that you're developing in yourself? And where do you see this woven into your community? You know, right now, I'm not so sure. I, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a limbo space. And so what the what the vows are really helping me do is stay connected to my why. Like the first line of my vow is my beloved, I surrender myself into your sacred service and commit my life to an, the embodiment of love through an ever-deepening relationship with you. So that line 
when I say that line each day, I, I, I am so ready to commit to then my meditation, my practice of being with spirit. And then it's out of that because it's through the surrender. I mean, none of us really knows what tomorrow brings. We can have a whole plan and a wonderful calendar and, you know, all sorts of great ideas and things that we're going to do. But the fact of the matter is that anything can happen. We can get hit by a bus. Absolutely. The big bus. The big bus. (laughs) So someone can get sick. You can get sick. Um, Something can change on a dime. So to me, I'm, I've been a big doer my whole life, you know, running businesses and, and having three kids and two of them were chronically ill. So there's a lot of stuff in my life where it was like, I just see what's in front of me and I do it and I just keep doing and I keep showing up. And in a way, I'm in a place, a little bit of this place in my life where I'm exploring more of what it is to be and do less. And it doesn't mean that I'm not doing it just means that the quality of my doing starts to shift a little bit because it's more grounded in being. Totally candid question. Are you, the, the more, the, the deeper you go into this area of discovery, do you think it's, it's like Kathy Wheelahan can be whatever she wants to be, you can, you can create? Or are you in this process of peeling away layers, discover what is inherently you by design? I mean, I would say, I guess I think it's a little bit of both because in peeling, I think it's more the second in a sense, because there's a place of being in each of us that is, is the ground of being. And so as we, in a way, fall more, more and more in love with ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. We allow this infinite potential to birth and manifest. So I I think it's both in a way. Yeah. What, what I love about the second one, and this just came up in a conversation yesterday, is that we're like, especially now, and I think it's been magnified and manifested, that we're like this generation where this product of like 40 years of self-help. So it's like, you can be, you can be, you can make whatever you want, you can create. And there's so much ego driving that. Yeah. And then the other way that we're like, it's this area of discovery I think anytime you come at something with a question, it's like, you know, you're humble. You're humble to what's inside you as you're going through this area of discovery. You're always asking as opposed to it's like me, I'm doing it. I'm driving the business. I'm the savior for these people. And, you know, what's inside that I'm going to discover today, tomorrow, next year. Always amazing. Always divine. And, And in there, you know, like for me, that means like, you know, God's inside. Totally. It's an inside job. As opposed to I'm like creating this island to be like, oh, I really wish God would help me right now. He really doesn't really want to go my way. And he really hasn't given me the apartment or home I dream of. And, you know, then it's like you have this like, then you're always a stranger. You have this weird relationship where he's like, you're like, oh, he, he just really leaves me all the time. Really doesn't help me out anymore. God it, has it abandoned me. me. think <laughs> of one of the, um, you know, there's the niyamas and yamas, yamas and niyamas and yoga. And one of them is the Saparigraha, which is this grasping. And Ishvara Pranidhana is the Niyama, which is the other side of the ethical guidelines, which is surrender to source. So I think as human beings, it's it's very natural and um, sort of a habit that we have to grasp and try to hold on to like a control, like controlling in a sense. 
this whole, oh, you know, you can manifest whatever you want, you know, just, um, just choose the next best thought and all that stuff. Like I am not, I will not argue with any of that stuff. Like I do believe, and I did the Abraham's pick stuff. And I, you know, I do think that positive psychology is powerful in all of that. I think what I came to in my life was that I, my relationship to goddess, God, right? Spirit source, that inside job thing that we just talked about, that I notice the more I go into a commitment and I fall off the wagon, just like anyone else, right? I'll have several days where maybe I haven't had a chance to really sit and meditate or I'm, I'm on the fly or whatever. But every time I come back into it and I quiet my mind and I sit in love, I have a deep sense of remembering, even if it's just momentary. And I drop into such gratitude that, that I am allowed, that I was taught how to, that I know what to do, and that I create a space for myself, that I value myself enough that I create a space for myself to do it. I mean, I would actually say that I think of spiritual practice as just the number one thing on my self-care list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's um I think it's just I think it's something that for for so many people, you know, it falls by the wayside. And for for whatever reason, you know, and I and I see I see this in like my my dad, I remember going to church as a little kid. We we went to a Lutheran church, which I had super mixed feelings about. And then we went to a Methodist later on. But I remember like when I was a kid, my dad would never go to church. He would he would often not go. It was like every fifth or sixth Sunday he would like show up. And now my dad's like, you know, got the Bible out every morning. He's got his Wayne Dyer tapes. He's like, you know, the birthday cards. He's like, you know, it's all it's like G.O.D like all the way, like he's come, he's, he's been, um, in my opinion, he's been beat up a little bit by life and like the ego there has no other place to go. It's like, you could almost see the person get like pulverized and they're like, they have, and for whatever, you know, however that, that whole, that's a whole nother podcast, (laughs) which we won't even get into, but I see the transformation and I see it happen oftentimes once someone's gone through cancer or Lyme disease, or they get to a certain age and now it's time you see death coming. Cause you're like, I see death coming all the time. I mean, I just like, I look around at, at, at you know, being, um, you know, 41 and, and I've just seen so much life go by. And I was like, I remember there was a time this hit me hard, hard last week. I was rocking around hell's kitchen. And I'd walked around those streets for 15 years, going to auditions, trying to make it into your next show. What'll be next? When's my agent going to call? And that was like it. That was all I was thinking about. And there was no concept of like when it would end, when, when it would be done. I just was like, this is so present for me now. But now I walk around those streets and was like, oh, shit, there's 40 years of it gone. I was like, I, I can, you know, hopefully have another 40 another 50. That would be great. But you see this timestamp on it and those things that were so held so much power and so much weight just don't matter that much anymore, especially after going through, you know, chronic illness. And you see like, 
it takes one long, one wrong twist of the intestine to be back in the emergency room. And, you know, who knows what follows that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just crazy what what drives. But I guess we're all driven the whole to sidebar it back to my point. We're all driven to these points of like, come to God, come to Jesus moments, come to Allah moments when we when we need to be. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good point about illness and 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 even grief, you know, having someone die that you really love. Mm -hmm. It's right front and center. Like none of us are guaranteed another day. I know. So how's your today going? So for me, that's why I keep coming back to to the spiritual practice because it builds a container. You know, and I and I went into the ministry because I had built up a container of spiritual practice for many, many years. And then I really wanted to understand how do I use that in service of myself, my family, and others. Because the sense I have when I practice is really one of oneness. And you know, the last line of my vows is and to and to remember to return to love again and again, remembering our oneness and our wholeness with all that is. So it's like these different things like illness, death, and all sorts of things in between can stop us in our tracks. And then we go, like you had that experience of walking around. I'm in a place where my second child has now gone off to college and I have one left and at home. And there's, I, I've been having these crazy moments of seeing my life in totality. And I've always been the, a person who is aware of the thin veil between this world and the next. But now I'm seeing it in, in sort of snapshots of my life. You know, I'm 51. So it's like, I sort of see like, there's the first part of your life. And then, and now I'm moving really into the second part of my life. And I was sitting out with my husband. And I said, you know, it's amazing to me how 25 years of a marriage can go by so quickly. And then now I have a perspective of looking at sort of like, like you were saying, it's like phases that you've gone through, right? Like at that time in your life, you could feel like you could just drop into and know that feeling of walking around that neighborhood mm-hmm. and the feelings you had around that. Like, I feel like I can do that like with decades, you know, mm-hmm. of what it was like to have babies, of what it was like to. So I think that our humanity, like there are certain things that we just all share together. And and one of the things is that literally we're all mm-hmm. going to go at some point. Mm-hmm. So we live in a culture where death is really not honored or celebrated, where it's definitely feared. And it's sort of like put off. And I think it's great to have like all this biohacking stuff and live as long as you can. I'm all into all that. But the fact of the matter is you can do all that. You're still going to go at some point. Well, you could still catch the bus. Exactly. My my oncologist told me right after I got better, he's like, dude, just because you beat cancer doesn't mean you can't get hit by a bus. So pick your head up. (laughs) Exactly. Pick your head up. So, So I guess for me, and you asked before something like, how does that translate to I, when, when we were in the second year of seminary, I just remember, I think I've told you this before. 
it was the beginning of the year and, and they said, you know, you minister to whoever walks in your door. That's what interfaith, interspiritual ministry is. Whoever is in front of you, the clerk at the checkout counter, <laughs> your kid's teacher. And this is not from a hubris place or an ego place. This is literally from a place of humility that if that we see ourselves as here to serve in the capacity of love and loving kindness. And that just feels so good to me. So it doesn't matter really what I'm doing. That's just a choice of how I want to show up, whether I want to teach yoga or meditation or, you know, be a coach or a spiritual counselor. It doesn't, at the end of the day, what really matters is how I show up and what my why of intention is in how I show up. And you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit ago um, that you had two kids that were chronically ill. You know, I know you grew up and um, well, you're in Lyme central. You're in, you're in the middle of Connecticut, which is a, which a big Lyme disease area. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how your faith and where, where you pulled strength from to walk, you know, two children, which I can't, I can only listen to stories about it and say, wow, that sounds terrible. How would I deal with that? And, you know, it's, I can't imagine a piece of you walking around outside of yourself that you, you know, at least yourself at the end of the day, you, you feel like you have this degree of control, but definitely your children, I can, I can only imagine that's a totally different story. Yeah, I think from an early age in my, you know, motherhood, like in, in, in early motherhood, because of my, you know, I started doing yoga when I was pregnant with my first. So that was a spiritual practice and a path that I was already on. And I did believe in, you know, uh, reincarnation and sort of this idea that like, there's a certain amount of choice that the soul has in coming in. And, you know, I don't know exactly what happens, where we come from, where we go, but I do think there's something about in being around people who have passed, you know, I know that the energy lives on and that I know we take some of what we've learned with us. I just know inherently that feels very right to me. Mm -hmm. So and early on when, when my oldest first got sick, I did have a very deep knowing that this is his path. Like he's going to, he has to walk this path and I am here to shepherd him, toward him, to do the very best job that I can, but ultimately I can't control it. And so that was sort of the beginning of my practice of surrendering. That's strong. Yeah. Wow. And, and that was over. It happened. It's just over and over again. Because, you know, your kid's having major testing done that's invasive and he's in pain like you can't imagine. And, you know, my daughter too and all that. And, and it wasn't even the money. It was the anguish. And, the, and the, you want, like, when you're a parent, all you want to do is take it from them. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you literally, you're like, God, just let me have the disease. Give it to me, you know? And you, you can't. You can't. So, so that was my first experience of surrendering over to a power that is greater than me and having faith in it. Like I remember when they told me that my son would, would be in a wheelchair by 21 
and the first, I just, I, I said, no, that's not going to happen. You know, we're not, and we're not coming back to you because that's not my belief system. So I believed in something different and I believe in the power of love to heal in such a huge way. So it's been, I mean, it's, it's, but it's, I still go through it. I still get the phone calls from college and this is problem. And and it's like, you know, I, I just try to be the, the best version of myself in the most loving capacity. I don't always do it right. <laughs> um, but, or, and I, I go back and I practice, you know, I just was telling you that it's been a really crazy summer and I haven't been, you know, practicing as regularly. And, um, you know, I have a bunch of different stuff that I do, breath work and meditation and asana and all different, but, you know, it, the meditation is what I really try to stick you know, pretty regularly too. And now I'm getting back into it. And this, the deep sense of gratitude that I have for it. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I choose to do this. And, and I had one teacher, you know, one of my philosophy teachers said, you know, the universe and you know, God, whatever you want to call it is playing hide and go seek with us all the time. And we're playing back. You know, we hide. We fall off. We, we do these little things with ourselves. And then we realize, oh, wait a minute. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be loved. I want to be found. So we play with that and we go back and forth. And, you know, one of the things I noticed again and again is about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when I started a very rigorous um, sadhana practice of 60 days with my friend Laura, I shifted an old pattern of when I would fall off my practice and get back on the mat, I would have a whole bunch of like, I don't know, maybe guilt or like, oh, I haven't been on it. And it would like take up about 15 minutes of my practice, having to move through whatever shame I had created around not practicing. And then finally, I got to this incredible place where I was no longer looking at what I hadn't done. And entering into whatever day I came to my mat as an incredible gift that I was giving to myself. Mm-hmm. And it made me, um, you know, tune more into these like 12 step programs and people, um, you know, recovering from any kind of like addiction stuff. Like every day, begin again, begin anew. Every day is an opportunity. And that was a powerful shift for me. And so I feel really grateful that this is such a deep thread in my life. And the, I think the ministry just, it kind of, you know, it, it broadened my perspective in a huge way by bringing me like around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was so much diversity in our program that that was wonderful too. And then we, I was part of a bigger community. So I think the last thing to say about how did I make it through with, you know, sick kids and this different thing, I think that's like the, the, the bridge from interfaith to interspirituality, I think is this jump of like, it requires community. Like interfaith is saying, we, okay, all of the wisdom traditions, if you, if you read the texts, which we had to do, you know, it's remarkable. They're all saying the same thing. They're just saying it in a different way. It's love. It, it's their books of love, unconditional love. 
And it's so beautiful. So that's the interfaith. It's like recognizing the truth in all of that. I would say the interspirituality part is realizing that, you know, the growth of interspiritual wisdom requires community. You can't do it in a vacuum. You can't be a monk in a cave. Mm-hmm. We have to have each other. We have to have the mirror and we have to enter into relationship and be willing to have difficult conversations and agree to disagree and hold each other in the highest. <laughs> That's interspirituality. That's taking it to the next level, which is, I think, what we're seeing in our world now is such a divided, right? And, and, and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear being manufactured and sold in many different ways, politically, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. emotionally. And so, but when you get together human to human and you speak from the heart, the rest of it doesn't really matter. Mm. You can still have differences, but ultimately, you know, we come in. <laughs> We spend this time here and then we go out. So those of us who have had had more challenge and illness and death and struggle are, I think, on some level more aware of it. If we have any kind of a consciousness going on or any kind of a deeper seeking going on. But that doesn't mean that we can't then help be a beacon of light in the darkness or or bring more consciousness to the ignorance. And and I really think that that's what this whole thing is about. This interspirituality is about recognizing that we have to do it in community. So we need to practice on our own and cultivate the love for ourselves, our bodies, our self-care, all of the stuff that you talk about in your podcasts, right? Educate ourselves stay engaged, right? Honor the body, honor the emotions, all of it. But at the end of the day, if we're just keeping that for ourselves, we're completely missing the point and the opportunity because it's in sharing what we've got that it it magnifies it exponentially. Mm. That's the service component. And I think some people think of service in a limited way. I think of what you do as service. You are serving humanity by helping people tune into things that they might not have access to or understanding around that can really shift their lives. Mm. And then if they shift their lives and become the best version of themselves, then everyone they come into contact with, right? they're making the world a more loving place. Mm -hmm. So I think the reason why I really went into that program was, you know, the sense of, of needing community, global community. You know, I have it here at the barn. I create community in these little, you know, pockets of, you know, local and stuff like that. But this gave me a sense of being connected to a much bigger movement. And and I can tap into that all the time. And that feels 
really supportive and um, that there, that it makes me have more hope and faith that there's tremendous possibility that we haven't even tapped into yet because I can go dark like anyone else turning on the news, reading the paper, right? There's, there's a lot we can focus on that's not going well, Mm. but there are so many good people and so many good organizations doing so many amazing things that let's keep showing up. Let's stay steady. Let's keep having these conversations like we're having right now, because there might just be one person who listens to this one. That's all it takes. Mm. Okay? Each one, teach one. Maybe one person listens to this. hears something about this interfaith, interspirituality that a little light bulb goes up, just like it did for me in some way for them. And maybe they end up going into the ministry or a interfaith, interspiritual ministry somewhere in the world. And they, they find their calling and their path and they step up as a minister and they, ha- they lead a community and other people's lives are changed tremendously. Like, and, we, we, and we don't even know that it happens. That's the part that really is so amazing to me. I, I, when, you, when I get the email or I get the, you know, the little note from someone that says, you know, you probably don't remember me, but I was in your yoga class in, you know, 2000, whatever, and <laughs> you inspired me. And I thought that person didn't like it at all because they said nothing. And they ended up going on and going into teacher training. And becoming a, a yoga teacher and their lives have completely changed and they're just writing me a little note to thank me. And I don't, I, I, I just am flabbergasted by it. One time I met them, something like that. So I think that's where the like podcasts, the things that you're doing, that you have the potential to reach so many people. And even though we want them to make a comment and, and like and share and all that stuff, right? Like sometimes it's the person that you've never heard from that listened to it and had a major shift. And you hear about it like years later. I just mm-hmm. want to let you know, Freddie Kimmel, I heard you one yeah. time, you know, and that's, that's where we just have no idea what the effect of our actions are. But if we're rooted in love and we know the intention, the big why of of why we're doing it and we stay steady in our commitment to do it, then we surrender the outcome and we keep coming from love. Kathy, that's beautiful. I, I want to, because I believe in, in, in people, it's like, where do I get started? I want to buy in. How do I, you know, what book do I go do? Where do I get started? Because like you said, there'll be people who download this podcast from all over the world. I think we're in like 56 countries now. Something crazy. Not like the most downloaded podcast in the world, but you know, like it, it does. You have that ripple effect. So is there a place where people could get a hold of you and, and reach out and send you a message even for, even for some, from, for, a coaching session to do a zoom of zoom coaching to come see you live. Like where would they go? Do you have a website? Yeah. So the, the open sky yoga barn, it's just www.openskyyogabarn.com. And it's also on Facebook and I do have an Instagram and I, and you know, you can just hit me up and respond and not, and I'll respond. You know, the other thing that I would say for people is that the beautiful thing if you're at all interested in checking out One Spirit, 
while it's located in New York City, all of their classes are, you can Zoom. So they have a bunch of um, weekend classes, weeknight classes that people can take that aren't in the seminary Mm -hmm. so that you can see if any of that resonates with you. So they have Buddhist classes and, you know, Christianity classes and spirituality classes and, you know, Course in Miracle and, you know, all sorts of different things that you can dip your toe in the, in the, in the water to see if something speaks to you as well, you know. So, yeah, I'm available. People can reach out to me and you can also uh, look up One Spirit Interfaith Seminary online and, you know, follow your, just keep following your heart. Beautiful. It'll always lead you home. <laughs> always, always. That is, that is the, um, and that's the graphic of the Beautifully Broken podcast. I had this like vision of like this heart with like a megaphone coming out of the top with like a crack in the side. It's, it just keep it does. It comes back there. The other thing I want to ask, you know, I, I close out the podcast. What does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? Well, I think we, we all have beautifully broken bits and pieces. And, um, you know, I think about how in yoga, you know, we learn about how you, you have to have the darkness to appreciate and understand the light. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the contrast, you can't learn, right, what the quality of the thing really is. If all we had was light, right, and there was no night, <laughs> there was no way. So it's like, it's very interesting. The, the broken bits and pieces bring in more of the light and I think help us to, you know, do that excavation of who we really are if 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 i look at my life and i look at uh you know as human beings we're all we're always sort of looking to see oh if only we could just get it stable if only we could just have whatever um uh fix my joint pain or 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 not have any fatigue things would be so much better you know or we do that thing right if only if we all do it, right? Some of us have learned to do it so much less, <laughs> but it still will creep in because it's a habit. And if, if I look back at my life, the most powerful teachings and learnings came out of the absolute most darkest times, hands down without a doubt. So if you were to tell me now, oh, if you could do it all over again, you know, would you not? you know, would you choose not to go through all of that difficulty with your kids and stuff? I just couldn't see, I can't see that because like they are the amazing human beings they are because of everything that they've gone through. And it's not that I would wish Lyme disease on anyone or wish the pain and the suffering on anyone, because obviously I want all people to, to feel peace and health. but. At the same time, wow, the, 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 the life learnings and the experience of walking through that, I think that is what is the beautifully broken for me. You know, there is such a depth of beauty in coming out of a time of darkness. It's like, you know, the fruitful darkness. 
Beautiful. It's a great answer. I think it's arguably one of the best. I should compile all the what does it mean to you to be beautifully broken and make an episode. Yes, I should do that for like the end of the year. My editor will love that. He's like, this is $2,000. <laughs> um, the, other, the other thing I want, I would ask is if you could leave the audience with a question. Introspection. What, what might they do next? A question for self-examination. Drop it in the bucket. I, I guess I would say, you know, what's your why? in relationship to the God of your understanding, and you don't need to use God, you can use source energy, love, the big love. How do you see that relationship? And how do you feel when you're in a space of sitting with that relationship? And what, and what do you want to do with that relationship? It's like, it's a big question. A lot of people, what happens is that they, they, they ask themselves this question when they're dying. They, 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 they get close to the end of their life. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I've had no relationship with God or whatever. And I'm afraid or, and I just think it's, it's just an opportunity to do that today. You know, to just take a paper or your journal out and just say, yeah, what is my relationship to source? Do I have any practice? Where, when do I feel connected? It could be just when you go in, into nature. And, and what does it feel like? You know, and why do it more? I think that's really the question. <sighs> We're going to leave it there. Kathy, you've been a, a dream guest. And I will put in the show notes how people can get in touch with you. And we'll, we'll do another one. We should do a death episode. Oh, now you're talking. All about death. <laughs> think about that one, people. Um, Thanks, thank you for being Daddy. here. Thank yes. You, Namaste, my friend. Well, I feel blessed to know you and that you've come into my life. So I just, I adore you. And I feel that you are a beacon of light to so many people. So keep doing what you're doing. That's the plan. All right. Baby. Until I get hit by that bus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe we'll be on the same bus. <laughs> I know. Uh, namaste. Ladies and gentlemen, you made it to the end of the podcast. Now, in a world where the average attention span is less than 10 seconds, we just spent almost an hour together. And I think this is the beginning of something really beautiful. Now, one way to support the podcast is to head over to freddysetgo.com and check out my newly launched page, Freddy's Faves, where I've linked every five-star product and healing modality you hear about on the show. Most offer significant discounts by clicking the link. And please know it doesn't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they support the show through affiliation. So check out Freddy's Faves on freddysetgo.com. This episode of the Beautifully Broken Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, AmpCoil, upgrading the vibrations of hearts, minds, and bodies all over the world. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Grabbing a download is like giving this virtual thumbs up that we're doing it right. 
And if you want to connect with me, shoot me a message on Instagram at freddysetgo.com or at freddysetgo. That's all for today. Our closing, our closing, the world is hurting. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading whatever it takes to move the needle. Remember, while life is pain, putting those fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I'm your host. I love you. Namaste. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.